Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators, but no one compares. Badass Women's Hour Excel with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. One, two, three, four! Welcome to Badass Women's Hour with me, Harriet Minter. This week, we're talking to Shadow Chancellor of the Exchequer, Annalise Dodds, about what it's like to be the first woman in the role and her plans for the economy post-COVID-19. Plus, we meet author Adele Parks, a Badass Women's Hour favourite, to talk about her new book, Just My Luck, and what happens when you win the lottery. Now, we are really lucky on Badass Women's Hour Excel tonight because we are joined by the Shadow Chancellor of the Exchequer, Annalise Dodds. Hi, Annalise. Hello, it's a real pleasure for me to be here with you tonight. Hi, Harriet. Oh, well, thank you for joining us. Um, let's start. I want to check in with you. How is the job going? You're about a month in. Um, you're, I think it must be very different from how you thought it ever would have been in your imagination up until this year. What is it like being Shadow Chancellor of the Exchequer? Well, I have to say it certainly wasn't a role that I'd ever anticipated filling. Um, I mean, I'm really delighted to have been put into this position because, um, you know, I'm really, really interested in this policy area to make such a difference, obviously. I mean, what's more important to people's lives than the economy? So I'm delighted to be doing it, but I really didn't ever expect that I would end up doing it and certainly not in the... I suppose it's not the kind of thing that when you're when you're a child you necessarily uh, imagine really. Um, I mean, I, I certainly always wanted to be an ice skater when I was young, helped by the fact there wasn't an ice rink near me, so I could think I would have been brilliant if uh, if if only there was. Um, so, so yeah, it really wasn't something that I'd um, kind of anticipated. I mean, I had a career before I went into politics. I worked as a university lecturer for a very long time, um, but yeah, very, very pleased to be doing it now. But obviously, very very difficult circumstances, I think, for everyone, aren't they? Um, uh, and, you know, we're all adjusting to this this new reality um, for as long as it needs well, to last. It is a new reality, but it feels like a reality that's changing really by the day. Every day something new is happening. And one of those things, obviously, at the moment, big debate is around education and sending kids back to school. Uh, we've seen today mm-hmm. lots of the teachers' unions saying that they disagree with the government they don't want schools reopening they don't think there's a safe plan for them to do so they don't think it's safe for uh, teachers don't think it's safe for children you have previously said that you wouldn't be comfortable sending your own son back in june do you support the unions in that stance 
Yeah, so actually, Harriet, this is quite an interesting case because I I didn't say that I would not send my child back to school. In fact, um, he's not even in the age group. Well, I've got I've got two, but but the one um, who would have been, uh, you know, who who was at school before, he's not in the age group covered. Um, I think it's interesting how this debate is really getting very kind of personalised. Essentially, what I was trying to say was, and you know, I find this when I'm talking to my constituents, whether they're parents or teachers, that. You know, people want a route out of this. They want to find a way forward. Um, we've had, you know, quite a lot of um, vitriol, if I'm honest, um, kind of poured around about this. Um, really, what we need to do is we need more evidence. We need more information. We need government to be sitting down, really, with the unions, working this through, and somehow get to a better solution. Because if we don't have confidence around those arrangements. Lots and lots of parents are not actually going to send their children to school. I mean, I personally would follow government guidelines. As I say, it wouldn't apply directly to my son anyway for for, um, the start of June because he's not in one of the year groups covered. But I think to have that confidence, it's really important. So do you think the unions are right to be advising teachers that actually they shouldn't be going back to work right this moment? Well, I think there's a bit of a discussion about whether they ever said that 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 shouldn't happen i mean again i think we've just got we've got to take the heat out of this we've got to somehow have a sensible discussion about this we've got to get you know government's got to open the door sit down with the unions listen to what they've got to say also to what parents are saying you know to what local government saying as well because we've got some different councils saying that they're concerned about it let's work it through Get an approach which everybody can be at least relatively happy with because, you know, in all different directions, there's risks in all different directions on this. The more open they can be, I think, and transparent, the better for us getting a solution to this issue. I'm understanding why you have a reputation as the peacemaker of the Labour Party. (laughs) Do you think... um... Do you think there is a clear way out of this right now? I mean, obviously, you're in opposition. If you were in charge, what would you be doing? Well, I always think that the more you're open with people, the more you're likely to be able to take them with you. And, you know, I think we've seen an incredible response from people to the different directions that have been put out there by government. You know, it's incredible how people have complied. It's amazing how people have worked together to support each other. It's really moving, I think, actually, how people have supported each other. So let's let's treat everyone like adults. You know, let's let's get the information out there and the evidence so people can see it. Let's have a sensible process. I think that's the way to deal with it. Above all, I think kind of, you know, typecasting, say, teachers as on one side and parents on another side, I don't think that's helpful mm-hmm. because I think people have got a range of views about this. You know, let's let's try and work it through. Um, ultimately, you know, we've got to have the children's interests at heart, surely, um, and that of wider society. That's what should be driving all of this. Do you think the government isn't being open with the public about its plans? Well, Certainly as a member I of the think... public, I just assume they don't have any and that's why I'm not hearing them. But is that, do you think there are plans that we're just not being told about? Um, I, don't, I don't know if there are plans. I think what would really help would be if we saw the evidence behind different announcements. You know, if we could see why. And um, Keir Starmer's leader of the Labour Party, you know, he's been saying this. Well, if, if we could just see the, the scientific evidence. And, you know, sometimes that might be quite um, inconclusive. You know, it might not point all in one direction. It could be quite balanced. But 
let's just get it out there because actually those countries where they've been kind of more open about this kind of thing, you know, whether we're talking about Denmark or, or Germany and others, they tend to end up, it seems, in a better position actually in, in dealing with this disease. You know, I don't think we should, or certainly policymakers shouldn't have to think, oh, we've got to kind of hoard that information within government. I really don't think that's helpful. One of the things that I think is interesting about the current situation is that what we're seeing is, a, from my point of view, there's a split in the union. So we see Boris Johnson making announcements as Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, but then Scotland saying, actually, we don't agree with it, so we're not going to do it. And Wales saying, nope, sorry, please note the signs at the borders. If you're coming across the border, you're going to have to pay differently here. And it seems to be sort of actually pushing the various countries further apart. How would you start to bring us back together so that it is a United Kingdom again? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's really critically important, again, that, that we actually have a strong attempt from government in Westminster to talk to those other governments. You know, I, I think if, obviously, we had the announcements on last Sunday night, um, which did come as quite a surprise to a lot of people. Um, it wasn't clear to me that the Scottish and Welsh governments had been fully involved in all of that. You know, it would have been really good if we could have had a uniform approach across all of the UK. I mean, I'm not saying we should have that on everything, but on something like this, you know, it is a problem when you've got different approaches building up. So let's have the discussion at a really early stage if there are concerns in different areas, then let's try and deal with them, you know, rather than maybe announcing something and then Scotland or, or Wales not being happy with it and adopting a different approach. Um, I, th I think that's quite important. You know, it feels to me sometimes that government almost wants to kind of announce things as a surprise in their press um, uh, uh, statements. And, you know, that's fair enough. I guess they want to capture the media's attention, that kind of thing. But the problem is, if you haven't consulted with others who will be affected beforehand, pretty quickly the wheels can start coming off those announcements. And I think we've kind of seen that a bit, really, over the last few days. People have felt, um, I think, over the last few years that Labour hasn't really provided as effective an opposition to the Conservative Party as it could have done. It's now under new leadership. Kirsten, I'm the new leader. You are the new Chancellor of the Exchequer. Between the two of you, how are you going to take on the Conservatives in this period, particularly given the fact that you're facing a Conservative government that's behaving not as we would expect a Conservative government to usually behave? It's massively expanded the state. It's pumping lots of money in to support people. How are you going to provide the sort of, A, an opposition that challenges it and really holds it to account and be differentiate yourselves from it? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think it's really important that at this time we're not engaging in opposition for opposition's sake. I mean, ultimately, I think all of us, whatever our, you know, political standpoint or political party that we support, we, we all we desperately need the government to succeed on this really desperately and clearly we've we've got a big mountain to climb on that so you know we're, we're not going to be clapping from the sidelines where things aren't working and there have been unfortunately a number of areas where you know we seem to be quite far behind other countries obviously we will be raising that with government and we will be saying to them as we have been for example in relation to, to testing and tracking and tracing well you know here's some solutions that government could adopt please can you 
look at these urgently, you know, to get this sorted out. Or again, with provision of protective equipment or the situation in care homes, etc. So we will put those issues on the agenda. We'll put forward solutions to try and get them fixed. And, you know, I think that's what, what people really need. Obviously, we're in the middle of a, a national crisis. So it's a different way, I suppose, of doing politics. But I think it's a really important one for the national interest. Finally, Alice, you are the first female Shadow Chancellor of the Exchequer. How does that sit with you? Do you do you feel the kind of impact of being the first woman to hold that role? Do you feel like you are, I guess, representing for the women who come after you? Ooh, well, it's it's certainly a, an enormous privilege. It really is, um, and I suppose I I have noticed over the years. I mean, I've I've worked on. Um, economic policy for for quite a few years now and I've often noticed that there are many fewer women involved in that and yet of course the economy affects women just as much as men in fact you know if we look at the last few years it's often been women who've been very very strongly impacted on by economic policy decisions often negatively so you know I've I've always felt that there was a, a real need for much more female representation in economic decision-making. Um, so, yeah, certainly I feel the, I guess, the pressure of that on my shoulders, I suppose. Um, but, you know, I really, I really hope there will be many more women who will come into this area in the future. Um, as I say, it's so important. Do you think it will change how you um, view and implement policy? I'm just thinking, you know, when we look at uh, the impact that coronavirus has had on people's economic lives actually we've seen how hard-hit women have been by it we're more women in key worker roles more women likely to be furloughed or uh, lose their jobs because of it um, I think one in three women is in a, a kind of low paid area which means their, their <laughs> low pay is now even lower so it's more more economically yeah. unstable for them do you think that actually because we now and this maybe this is too simplified I don't know but because we now have a female ch shadow chancellor of the exchequer that you will see policy differently? Um, I mean, I, I think it, it's a question of whether we have people in my kind of role who are, who are alert to those kinds of inequalities. And obviously there, there have been many men who have been, um, you know, as, uh, uh, just as much as I am. Um, but I think it is really important that we consider them. Um, uh, and, I mean, you spelled out a number of the real challenges actually currently um i think obviously we're also seeing very very significant inequalities when it comes to the impact of all this on black and minority ethnic people clearly in terms of the impact of the disease but also the economic impact mm. um and obviously for those who were at a more unequal position income wise before this crisis it's just made the situation worse so i think i think the whole range of inequalities that are being made worse because of this um, you know, that between men and women is, is a, a really critical one, but there are others as well. Fantastic. Annalise Dodds, uh, Shadow Chancellor of the Exchequer, thank you so much for joining us on Badass Women's Hour XL. This is the Badass Women's Hour podcast. And on the line with us, one of our favourite authors. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Adele Parks. Hello, Adele. Hey, hi, Harriet. How are you? I am very well. How are you? I am surviving. I did very well, actually. I'm quite... I'm, I'm, yeah, I mean, it's not the launch I was expecting, but none of us are living the life we're expecting, are we? Let's face it. We're not. And I was thinking, you know, I was thinking, kind of, in a way, it would be a cliche to say, well, this is much, must be easier for writers because you like being alone in your garret, typing away by yourselves. But you're a very you know, sociable writer. <laughs> but you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I think it is a, it is easier for writers than than most people because we have been used to working at home for a long time. Yeah. I mean, I I've worked at home for twenty years. You know, twenty books, twenty years. Nearly all of that was working from home. However, my uh, kind of safety valve, the valve to make me uh, a normal human being, was the fact I could go into London, have a couple of meetings now and again, a couple of times a month, <laughs> month, see my mates at the weekends, all the things that are normal. But you know what? The important thing is staying safe. And, um, and I'm very lucky that I'm able to continue doing my work. Um, so, yeah, the launch has been and very you are. different. I am. I am. <laughs> You are doing some great work. Uh, this is book, what what number book is this? Like 587? 587, but other people call it 20. <laughs> yeah. No, 20. In 20 years, who, who knew? I mean, I, I people keep saying, oh, did you plan that? And I'm like, no. The first book that comes out, you're just surprised there's a book out, aren't you? You know, it's just like, oh, that, that's good. Then what's that about? Um, but quite early on in my career, my then editor said to me, oh, you know, you want to become that author that everyone waits for in the summer holidays. And, and you know, if you do that, you need to be the person who gets a book out a year. And I'm such a girly swat. So I was like, OK, I can do that. And here I am. <laughs> I don't know why. But I'm like, so here I am 20 years later going, yeah, look, I'm doing it. Gold star for me. <laughs> what a year. Still doing it. <laughs> Tell us what this one is about. Okay, so Just My Luck is um, about three couples that have been friends for 15 years. They all met just after they had kids. And they're in that kind of incredibly intense sort of friendship 
group that uh, as an outsider you might look in and think that's a bit unhealthy but if you're inside it you think oh these are my these are my people and I'm great and life's marvelous because I have these people and they their kids have grown up and they've got other kids as well besides the first three and the kids are all kind of dating each other they all got the same school they're busy mates they're all massively interlinked they go on holidays together and they have Christmases and that sort of thing and one of the rituals that they're really keen on doing and they have done since the children were babies um, is they buy a lottery ticket as a syndicate group, the six of them. They each picked a number and those six numbers, the same numbers that are played week after week after week and have been 15 years. Most of the time, they don't win anything. They win a cup, like 20 quid or something and put it towards the takeaway next week, that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> anyway, we meet them when... Two of the couples are sort of saying to the third couple, they're a bit over it. It's just a bit chippy. It's just a bit kind of a one night. They've all had a bit too much to drink. And they start sort of telling, you know how you have those nights where you start saying things you sort of regret when you sober up? And you (laughs) say things like, you know, oh, that's always annoyed me about you a bit. And they have that conversation. And in the end, a sort of a little tiff goes into a great big rift. And they end up falling out. And and two of the couples say they don't want to do the lottery anymore. And the third couple here, not I don't want to do the lottery anymore. They hear I don't want to be your friend anymore. We think we're beyond you. We think we're past you. And uh, we've socially gone, kind of socially climbed the ranks a bit better than you have. And so we're kind of leaving you behind. And they're devastated. However, they do still buy a lottery ticket the very next week with the exact same numbers. And that week, the numbers come up. And Lexi no. and Jake, yay, good, I want that reaction. And Lexi <laughs> and Jake win um, £18 million. And, uh, of course, the other two couples, they want in on it. They want a share of this and legally not entitled if they've dropped out of the syndicate. But is there a moral question here? What do you owe old friends? And the book mm. investigates kind of, you know, it gets quite dark because people do some really bad stuff to get money. They just do. That is just a fact of life. Um, but, uh, yeah, it gets quite dark, and it, it basically investigates what we should buy with, you know, with money, what we shouldn't buy with money, what we can and what we can't. And, and surprisingly, nearly everything is for sale. Nearly everybody has, well, everybody has a price. And it, it looks at, um, you know, what if winning means losing everything if everything is your friend? That's it. There you go. I mean, it sounds amazing. I'm already hooked. Oh, <laughs> what, you. Where did you, what was the sort of spark of inspiration? Because I know that you are a sort of collector of stories almost. You overhear something or you see something in the paper and you almost file it away and think at some point I'm going to make a story out of it. Do you know totally. what it was that inspired this one? Uh, this more than any other book. I know the exact moment. So um, <laughs> it, was a, <laughs> it was a friend's uh, birthday party. Uh, it was a lunch party, quite boozy, quite a laugh. Loads of people I hadn't seen for a long time catching up with. And one of the guys I hadn't seen for a wee while was, um, he is the financial director at the lottery company. And he started telling me some of the stories. And I was just like, this is gold. Tell me more. And he was just sort of telling me, you know, the fabulous things. <laughs> All obviously very confidentially. Um, the, the fabulous things that happen when... Um, 
people win the lottery and, and the excitement of it all. And also, he, he kind of went into quite some detail of the duty of care that the lottery company have for winners, which I thought yeah. was quite interesting. Because obviously, mm-hmm. people who win a lot of money, it's not the same as inheriting it and perhaps being born into money and understanding it that way. It's not the same as having nothing and earning it, but earning it gradually and getting it that way. It's a very sudden life change and so the lottery company are pretty clever actually and 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 kind of quite careful about the kindness aspect of of putting people in touch with the correct experts and all that sort of thing so he was saying to me you know we we put them in touch with banks and money advisors and and maybe estate agents but we actually advise them not to move too quickly and keep their social crowd around them and then just he sort of slipped into conversation and if it's a massive win we'd obviously put them in touch with security and I was like, sorry, what's yeah. security? And he said, you know, for kidnap risk and things like that. Oh, my and I was gosh. Just like, yes, yes, Harriet, you're so right. Because <laughs> I was just like, can you imagine the minute you've just been handed this check thinking, hello, all my dreams come true, not a single thing to worry about ever again. You're suddenly told, actually, you might have something to worry about if you go public and if people find out about this win. And it's a thing you've never had to deal with before. And I literally was like, yeah, this has been a great birthday lunch, but I'm now leaving because I need to go home and write this novel. <laughs> it was just that moment. It really was. And, um, yeah, and, and it, uh, it, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes you sort of play with things for a long time. But I just knew there was something about thinking this is the dream come true and then finding out that there are other elements with every dream there's always a, there's always a nightmarish element too um and i wanted to look at that what did you did you get to speak to any lottery winners or did you just sort of imagine what you would be doing if you'd won that money and how you would be spending it no i did spend some time with them and um it's quite interesting again the the lottery company again they look after them they sort of have these Um, they put them in touch with each other because so few people can understand that sudden wealth. And, and so they, they, they kind of, they have forums and they have parties and they, they, you know, they mix with one another because they get it. They each get it. And nearly everybody else they come into is on some level, either overawed or jealous or resentful or, or just kind of sycophantic or whatever it might be. But if you are somebody who has had exactly the same experience, they can, they can relate to each other better. So that was very exciting, talk, talking and, and communicating with um, lottery winners. And there were so many stories that actually didn't make it into the book because the book is an, an imaginative story and it didn't happen. But um, I think the most surprising one for me, there was one, one guy, he just never spent a penny. He didn't give it away. He didn't spend it. Nothing. It just sat in his bank account. Just sat in his bank account. And I couldn't get my head around it. And the best I could come up with, because he couldn't really explain why this was the case either. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> the best I could come up with is he was kind of doing the lottery, never with the hope of thinking he was somebody who was that lucky. And it was almost enough for him to know that he had been that lucky. <laughs> and he didn't actually need to do anything about it, which I find extraordinary he didn't even give it to like just give it away just give it to a charity because it's too fast <laughs> nothing isn't that remarkable it's absolutely 
absolutely insane. bizarre. Well, not insane, because, of course, the man is completely <laughs> sane, obviously. But he, but it's just, it takes some understanding. But you see, there's nothing as strange as real life and real people. That is true. There is now a stranger's way, because they say, um, are you already, given that we're in lockdown and none of us have got much to do, apart from, obviously, write the novel that none of us are writing, but are you writing a new novel? Have you got the next one on you the go? You sure to know I am, don't you? You know that I will say yes. <laughs> you would have eaten your hat at that point if I'd gone, I, no, honestly, I'm I would have been relieved. I would have been like, oh, she's mortal like the rest of us. No. <laughs> <laughs> I did have the first two, the first two weeks I wandered around going, why is this different? This shouldn't be different. I should be able to be <laughs> the same. I should be able to carry on. Yeah. I couldn't. Yeah, yeah. So there were there were a couple of weeks where it just takes okay. some processing, doesn't yeah, it? And absolutely. and I don't think any of us are even there yet. I don't think any of us really understand no. or compute what we're going through. And then I realised my entire life, what I've always done to cope with difficult issues is to just write. And um, so if anything, I wouldn't say I'm writing more, but I am managing to kind of keep up my normal one to 2,000 words a day. Um, so I'm sort of two thirds of the way through next year's book, which is where I would normally be at this point. I'll take a pause from it for a few weeks now while I'm doing yeah. um, promo for just my luck. But when I, you know, it is the thing that helps me breathe easy. Yeah. I mean, at the moment, all of us need that, don't we? We need to find out if that's gardening or crying or yoga or whatever it yeah. might be. You need to find the thing that makes you just go, yeah, okay, I can, I can put one foot in front of another and get on with this. Um, and mine is, is writing, so I'm, I'm very happy to be able to just throw myself into that. Oh, well, I cannot wait to read it. I have absolutely done as your then publisher recommended, and I wait on all of the books. Fantastic Adele Parks are telling us about her new book, Just My Luck. They are always brilliant. Great lockdown if you need one. You've been listening to Badass Women's Hour. If you like the show, then help more people find us. You can tag us or talk to us on social media using at Badass Women's Hour. Or you can be really lovely and leave us a review and a rating. Five stars, please. It helps boost us up the podcast rankings and allows other people to find us. We'll be back next week with more Badass Guests and in-depth chat. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 